chapters one and two of the last three soldiers this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by david wales the last three soldiers by william henry shelton chapter one completing the line if andy zachary the guide had not mysteriously disappeared from his home within the month which followed the events of the night of the second of july in the year eighteen sixty four sooner or later the postmaster in the cove on one side and the people in the valley on the other must have learned of the presence of the little colony on the summit of the great rock on that particular night the cavalcade had come silently and secretly over the mountains by an unfrequented trail from the last station on upper bald which towered above the sandy river country the troopers had followed the guide in single file along the ridges and down the stony trails and now when they emerged on the open cove road for the first time andy fell back to the captain's side in his butternut suit and mangy fur cap with his long rifle slung behind his broad square shoulders for that night his will was law above that of the captain and before the three pack mules at the end of the train had come out on the road the head of the column had turned up a washout to the left which presently brought the whole outfit into the shelter of a grove of pines alongside a deserted log cabin it was just a trifle past midnight by the captain's watch and the full moon which hung above the ridge to the west would light the cove face of old whiteside for yet an hour and during the darkness which must follow in the small hours of the morning there would be ample time to steal through the sleeping settlement and find a lodgment high up on the mountain which was the object of the expedition the troopers dismounted and some lay down on the ground by the horses while two kindled a fire in the stone chimney of the cabin and made coffee for the others corporal bromley leaned a bundle of red and white flags against the doorpost and after turning aside with lieutenant coleman and philip welton to inspect their supplies on the pack mules the three joined the captain and the guide in the shadow of that end of the cabin which looked toward the singular mountain standing boldly between the cove and the valley beyond that it was a mighty fortress unscalable on its western side could be seen at a glance the broad moonlight fell full on a huge boulder whose mighty top a thousand feet above the cove was fringed with a tall forest growth that looked in the distance like stunted berry bushes and whose rounded granite side was streaked with black storm stains where the rains of centuries had coursed down the moonlight picked out white spots underneath the huge folds which here and there belted the rock and protected its underface from the storms these were the spots which the rills dribbled over and the torrents jumped clear of to meet their old tracks on the bulging rock below it looked for all the world as if the smoke from huge fires had been curling against the mountain for ages so black were the broad upward streaks and so white in the moon's light were the surrounding faces of the rock phil was the first to speak it must have been a giant that rolled it there he said with a sigh of relief and looked up at andy the guide well now youngster said andy you'd low so if you was round these parts in the springtime when the sun loosens the big icicles hangin on them black ledges and leaves em fall thunderin into the cove bottom 
the cove post-office whose long white roof crowned a knoll nearly in the centre of a small tract within the mountain walls andy said was at such times a great resort of the mountaineers who came that they might watch the movement of the avalanches of snow and ice because of its wonderful formation this mountain was of abundant interest to all during their brief halt but it was examined most carefully by the three young soldiers who were to be stationed on its crest philip welton was the youngest of the three only just past seventeen and it was well known to his officers that if he had not been an orphan without parents to object he would never have been permitted to enlist even as a drummer boy in the second ohio or in any capacity in any other command the lad was of a gentle affectionate nature sensitive and refined but his opportunities for education had been limited to the winter's schools and the books he had read behind the flour sacks in his uncle's mill some said his uncle was glad to be rid of him when he went away to the war like his friend and protector bromley he had served with the colors on many a hard-fought field and now the two had just been detached from their regiment and assigned to duty under the command of frederick henry coleman a second lieutenant whose regiment was the twelfth united states cavalry george bromley although the oldest of the three was not yet twenty at the time he had enlisted at the beginning of the war and he had left college in his junior year to enter the army lieutenant coleman had graduated from west point the summer before the very youngest member of his class although the three were mere boys at the time of their enlistment each had entered the service through the strongest motives of patriotism and each followed the fortunes of the national arms with an interest which showed itself in accordance with his personal character at that time general sherman's army was engaged in that series of battles which began at marietta georgia and including the capture of pine and lost mountains was soon to end in the victory at kennesaw the army of general sherman was steadily advancing its lines in spite of the most heroic resistance of general johnston and every new position gained was fortified by lines of log breastworks sometimes thrown up in an hour after the regiments had stacked arms these hastily constructed works extending ten and twelve miles across the thickly wooded country were nowhere less than four feet high with an opening under the top log for musketry and out in front the tree-tops were thrown into a tangled mass almost impossible for an attacking army to pass these peculiar and original tactics of general sherman enabled him to hold his front with a thin line of men while the bulk of his troops were sent around one flank or the other to turn the enemy out of his works and so gain a new position this was the sort of service corporal bromley and philip welton had been engaged in during the early part of the campaign and when they remembered the long rains and deep mud through which the soldiers marched and the wagon trains foundered and stuck fast they were not sorry to be mounted on good horses and riding over hard roads now that the moon had set the troopers mounted again and moved quietly along the stony road andy zachary the guide riding with the captain at the head of the column the deep silence of the forest was on every hand broken only by the clicking of iron shoes and the occasional foaming and plunging of a mountain stream down some laurel-choked gorge 
the road wound and turned about fording branches mounting hills and dipping down into hollows for an hour until open fields began to appear bristling with girdled trees and then the wooded side of the huge granite mountain shot up towering over the left of the column soon thereafter the forest gave way to open country and as the road swept round the base of the mountain it became a broad and sandy highway so that when the horses trotted out there was only a light jangling of equipments sabres clicking on spurred heels and the jingling of steel bits and when the pace was checked to a walk in passing some dark cabin only the creaking of the saddles was heard so it was that the troopers stole silently through the valley of cashiers with the solemn mountain peaks standing like blind sentinels above the sparse settlement occasionally a drowsy house-dog roused himself to bark and his fellow gave back an answering echo across the bushy fields but no one of the sleepers awoke under the patchwork quilts of many colours and the long rifles hung undisturbed over the cabin doors then the troopers exulted in their cleverness and laughed softly in their beards while the night winds blew over the roofs of the dark cabins as they passed after they were clear of the sandy road in the settlement it was a long way up the mountain-side and the iron shoes of the scrambling horses clicked on many a rolling stone and some sleepy heads caught forty winks as they climbed and climbed the cabins disappeared and the fences and the plough-steers and the hill pastures rattled their copper bells from below as the troop got higher and so it was lonesome enough on the shaggy mountain and every trace of the habitation of man had disappeared long before they reached the rickety old bridge that spanned the deep gorge andy said that this bridge was the only possible way by which the top of the mountain could be reached and that it had been built a great many years ago by a crazy old man who once lived on the mountain but who was long since dead it was still too dark to examine its condition it could be seen that the nearby poles of the old railing had rotted away and fallen into the black chasm below more than half of the bridge was swallowed up in the shadows of the foliage on the other bank away down in the throat of the gorge where tall forest trees grew and stretched their topmost limbs in vain to reach the level of the grass and flowers on the fields above them a tinkling stream fell over the rocks with a far-away sound like the chinking of silver coins in a vault the silence above and the murmur of the water below in the thick darkness were enough to make the stoutest hearts quail at the thought of crossing over by the best of bridges so the captain prudently decided to wait for daylight and as the distance they had gained above the settlement made the spot a safe encampment for a day he ordered the troopers to unsaddle after feeding the tired horses from the sacks of oats carried in front of the saddles the men lay down on the ground and were soon sleeping soundly under the tall pines which grew above the bridgehead chapter two the old man of the mountain the captain and andy lingered by the bridgehead and the three boy soldiers who were to be left behind next day long as the march had been felt no inclination for sleep they were too much interested in watching for the first light by which they could examine this important approach to their temporary station i should like to know something more of the crazy old man who built this crazy old bridge said philip appealing to lieutenant coleman why not ask the guide to tell us 
andy was by no means loath to tell the story so far as he knew it which was plain enough to be seen by the deliberate way in which he seated himself on a rock andy's audience reclined about him on the dry pine needles mountaineers are not given to wasting their words and by the extreme deliberation of the guide's preparations it was sufficiently evident that something important was coming thirty years back said andy taking off his coonskin cap and looking into it as if he read there the beginning of his story and for that matter down to five year ago there was a man by the name of josiah woodring lived all by himself in a log cabin about halfway up this mountain and just out of sight of the trail we all come up to-night he owned right smart of timberland and clearin and made a crap o' corn every year besides raisin taters and cabbage and onions in his garden patch he had a copper still hid away somewhere among the rocks where he turned his corn crap into whiskey and when josiah needed anything in the line of store goods he hooked up his steer and went off sometimes to walhalla and sometimes clean up to asheville now about a year after josiah settled on his clearin about the time he might have been twenty or thereabouts when he come back from one of those same merchandisin trips instead of one steer he had a yoke and along with him there was a little man a good thirty year older than josiah and him walkin a considerable piece behind the cart when they came through the settlement same as if the two wa'n't travelin together the stranger was a dark-complected man so the old folks say and went just a trifle lame as he walked and as for his clothes he was a heap smarter dressed than the mountain folks not that he looked to care for his dress for he didn't not he but through the dust of the road which was white on him it was plain that he wore the best of store-cloth as the cart was plumb empty it would seem that the little man fetched nothing along with him besides the clothes on his back and such other toggery as he may have stowed away in the cowskin knapsack they do say he staggered under if he had any treasure he must have toted it in his big pockets which it is claimed by some folks now livin was stuffed out like warts on an apple tree and made him look as misshapen as he was small now whether anybody heard the chinkin o gold or not which i'm bettin free they didn't it looked bad for josiah that this particular stranger would disappear in his company for he was never seen again in the settlement or anywhere else by any human for a good two year after the night he come trudgin along behind the cart it was natural enough that the neighbor folks in time began to suspicion that josiah had murdered the man for his money and all the more when he made bold to show some foreign-looking gold pieces of which nobody knowed the valley they say how feelin run considerable high in the settlement that year but was only surmisin like for there was no evidence that would hold water for a jury of any crime havin been committed and it all ended in the valley folks avoidin josiah like his other name was cain and that sort of treatment appeared to suit him mighty well leastways he went on with his plowin and sowin and stillin his crop and whistled at the neglect of his neighbors who never came to the clearin any more and in that very year he built this bridge with or without the help of the other one when the bridge was first seen it was stained by the weather and moss had come to grow on the poles and rotten leaves filled the chinks of the slab floor as if it had never been new and no one cared to ask any questions of zosiah who kept his own counsel and seemed to live more alone than ever 
the bridge was only another mystery connected with the life of this man that everybody shunned and nobody suspicioned that it had anything to do with the disappearance of the other one who was counted for dead now when day comes said andy you all will see for yourselves that there is no timber on the other side of this here gully tall enough to make string pieces for a bridge of this length and so the two string pieces must have been cut on this side so as to fall across the chasm pretty much where they were wanted well that was how it was and the story goes that the man who first saw the bridge reported judging by the stumps that the right-hand timber had been cut six months or more before the other one which might have been just about the time josiah brought the stranger home with him and would easily account for his disappearance on to the summit of the mountain for of course you understand he was not dead and josiah the silent had no stain of blood on his conscience the mountain folks however thought different at that time and looked cross-eyed at the painted cart drawed by the two slick critters on its way to the low country they was quick to take notice too when josiah come back that the cart carried more kegs than what it had taken away besides some mysterious-looking boxes and packages now this having continued in durin several half-yearly trips it was the settled idea in the valley that josiah was a furnishing of his cabin at a gate clear ahead of the insolence like of drivin two steers to his cart when honest mountain folks couldn't afford but one it was suspicion moreover that he was a-doin this with the ill-got gold of the old man he had murdered and the gals shrugged their shoulders as he passed for no one of the gals as knew his goins on would set foot in his cabin it leaked out some way that josiah had been investin in books which was the amazin and crownin extravagance of all for it was knowed that he could scarcely read a line of print or much more write his own name these unjust suspicions of murder and robbery against an innocent man continued to rankle in the minds of the valley folks for more than two years until a most surprising event took place on the mountain to the great disappointment and annoyance of those gossips who had been loudest in their charges against josiah woodring it happened that two bear hunters from the settlement found themselves belated on the neighborhood of this very bridge one september night and being worn out with the chase they sat down to rest in the shadow of an old chestnut where they soon fell asleep they awoke just before midnight and were about to start on down the mountain when they heard footsteps coming up the trail and presently dark as the night was they saw a man with a keg on his shoulder a-walking toward the bridge the man was josiah and after resting his burden on a stump and wiping the sweat from his forehead he shouldered it again and tramped on over the bridge the hunters were bold men and well armed and having had a good rest they followed the man at a safe distance until he came to the ledge of rocks which you all will view for yourselves by sun-up and there he was met by a man with a ladder who stood out on the rocks above the hunters noticed that the stranger was a small man and just then the moon came out from behind a cloud and they knew him for the little old man who was supposed to have been murdered when the hunters told what they'd seen on the mountain you may believe said andy there was a right smart excitement in cashiers and some disappointment to find that josiah was neither a murderer nor a robber they went on hating him all the same for driving two steers to his cart and for having deceived them so long about the man on the mountain and then they started the story that he was feeding his prisoner on whiskey and that it was only a slow murder after all 
after that one day when josiah had gone away to market half a dozen of the valley men with the two hunters to guide them went up the mountain for the purpose of liberating that poor prisoner of josiah's they carried a ladder along and when they had climbed up the ledge they found a little log shelter not fit for a sheep hovel and as for the prisoner he kept out of their way for it was a pretty big place with plenty of trees and rocks to hide among well as the years went on josiah brought back less and less of suspicious packages in his cart when he came up from the low country but it was known that he still went up the mountain on certain dark nights with a keg on his shoulder the strange old man himself was seen at a distance from time to time but at last his existence on the mountain came to be a settled fact and the people ceased to worry about him well five years ago as i said continued andy josiah took sick with a fever and come down into the settlement to see the doctor and he was that bad that the doctor had to go back with him to drive the cattle he rallied after that so as to be about again and even out at night but three months from the time he took the fever he died the doctor was with him at the time and the night before he breathed his last he told the doctor that the little man on the mountain was dead after the funeral another party went up to the top of the mountain and sure enough there was the grave just outside of the miserable shelter he had lived in so long and it looks like he did sure enough drink himself to death for there was no sign about the hovel that he ever cooked or ate ordinary food the strangest thing about the whole strange business said andy getting on to his feet is that there was nothing in josiah's poor cabin worth carrying away and if the old man didn't build this here bridge with his own hands thirty years ago stands to reason that he helped josiah End of chapter two